0: Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi there. Welcome to episode 48 of Sexology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. This week, we're going to continue our conversation about consent and sexual assault. This is something that we get exposed to it almost every day in the U.S. with the media. And I'm so glad that people, women are finding the voice, men finding the voice. But I feel at times it can be overwhelming. And it's important for us to get good education about these different kinds of assaults. One of the kind of a sexual Misconducts that we keep hearing about it these days are the people in power exposing themselves and masturbating in front of women that are usually there are uh, these women are someone that they have power over, and you know sometimes I hear from my friends who are not in the field saying that okay, uh, this is not a physical assault because they never touched it with them or they never did any kind of physical sexual act on them. But based, as a psychologist, I know, and I know many of you guys know that uh, this kind of exposure can be equally painful and scarring for many women. Our guest today is a licensed social worker. Her name is Quandra Schaffers. I was looking for an expert can that would be able to talk to us about This specific kind of uh, form of violence. And I came across the article, an article in Huffington Post that she was uh, featured on. So I was like reading her perspective on this. And I felt she was a really good match for what I was looking for for our session today. Before I'm going to transition to our interview with her today. I just want to make sure that you guys know the content of this interview might be triggering. So if that's something that you feel is a sensitive topic for you, I recommend you to not listen to this podcast, this episode. And also, I want to remind you about the sexual assault hotline. Their number is 800-656-4673. Again, the number is 800-656-HOPE. And what happens is when you call them, they connect you with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. So if you find yourself feeling triggered, this would be a good number to use to get connected to providers that can help you with these issues. Our guest today is Quandra Schaefers. Quantra Schaefer's LCSW is a certified sex educator through ASAC, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, counselors and therapists, and also a certified EMDR therapist. She boasts over 10 years of experience working with sexual violence survivors as both a crisis intervention counselor and a psychotherapist. For six years, she made a career in treating violent offenders as a facilitator for a batter's intervention program quandra strives to help men and women overcome rape intimate partner violence sexual acting out and a host of other sexual related issues she believes that sexual health is the natural solution to sexual violence her private practice sexual abuse and sex solutions is located on cusp of the Knob Hill District in San Francisco and helps clients address both sexual trauma and problematic sexual behaviors. Here's my conversation with Condra Schaffers. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I mentioned during introduction, I am so excited to have Mrs. Quandra Schaffers with us. She's a sex therapist. She's a therapist and counselor. Quandra, welcome to our show. Hey there, Nazani. I'm great. It's just so great to be here. I'm so excited for having you on. And I know our listeners definitely want to tune in because we're going to definitely continue the conversation on consent that we had. And just in the light of this New revelation in media, I think it's important conversation to provide some education around.
1: Isn't that true? I mean, I think most of us always knew that sexual assault and sexual harassment was a pandemic. But for whatever reason, maybe it's just this new age we've gotten into with social media and people feeling emboldened to speak. We're hearing about a lot more high profile cases and survivors are feeling Encouraged to come out all
0: at once, right? And it's just all this different kind of sexual assault and harassment we get exposed to. And you know, one thing that's very interesting we keep hearing about the masturbation as a form of violence, and it's just so can be confusing for people. We had few episodes ago. We had this great episode about power of masturbation, how great and healthy it is. So it can be confusing to see it as a form of violence. So can you help us understand that piece better? That how can masturbation become a form of violence?
1: Absolutely. And your guest was so on point with it. I could reiterate so many of her wonderful points just to kind of do a few bullets. There's The fact that masturbation is usually healthy. When we think about masturbation, one, it's a natural sleep aid. It's great for um, clearing out enzymes behind the prostate for men, for women. I think she mentioned it helps clear cramps from menstrual cycles. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a proponent of healthy masturbation in moderation when it's in solo sex. But we also need to remember that it's great for partnered sex, too, right? You know, you might have a man who needs a refractory period. He can masturbate in between before going back to penetration. For women in same-sex couplings, they might even prefer mutual masturbation and oral sex to penetrative sex. So we have to think about it as one tool in our sexual toolbox, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: And in all of those cases, that's what we would call power with, you know, power with someone means that everyone is treated equally and there's consent and there's respect and everybody comes out on the other end feeling like they had pleasure. I also think about masturbation in context of power within for survivors of sexual assault, especially you might have someone who had a lot of misinformation presented to them by their abuser. And masturbation might be the quintessential tool to unlearn all of that unhealthy things that, hey, I actually do have control over my body. I can decide when to stop. I can figure out what gives me pleasure personally. And that's what we would call power within. But what we're seeing so distinctly now in the media is a lot of examples of power over uh, across Hollywood, Silicon Valley, um, Politicians like Roy Moore and uh, news reporters like Charlie Rose, what they've done very specifically is weaponized masturbation. They're using it as a tool to intimidate others, and they're essentially holding their victims hostage. Like um, Charlie Moore, he would walk out of his room in his home office, distinctly to pass by his intern who is working hard and doesn't actually want to see a naked man walk by even if it's her boss, right? So, but that is there to intimidate her and it's a clear threat to her career. And I'm not trying to speak in exaggeration or hyperbole here. It's really not much different than robbery at gunpoint in a lot of ways. So, When we think about robbery, most of us would think about that as a form of violence, right? Absolutely. Yeah, like regardless of whether or not you're actually shot, looking down the barrel of a gun is very life-threatening, very terrifying. And people can actually, we know as therapists, gain PTSD symptoms from an experience like that. Witnessing violence can also cause the same amount of harm to our mental health. And it's because our body doesn't know the difference. It knows that it went into attack mode and it had to survive somehow. And when you're under threat and your boss, who has a lot of power and control over your career, does something like that, like masturbates in front of you, you don't know whether or not he's going to escalate to rape or some other form of violence. Your body goes into the same attack mode and survival mode that it would in any other situation. That's why I would think about it more like power over. And it's very disheartening that the general conversation is trying to minimize it or make it seem like it's not as big a deal.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that you're talking about this as a form of violence and comparing it to robbery because I feel at times when it's not. You know, it's not penetra- sexual penetration, or there is no touching of the partner. People tend to be at times dismissive and saying, "Okay, what happened?" I know when first we heard the news of Harvey Weinstein, one of my friends, guy, said, "Like, okay, why they didn't close their eyes?" <laughs> you know, something like that. Like, why kind of dismissing it? It wasn't form of violence. I mean, like the guy was weird. If it was my boss. I would close my eyes or look the other way. But you're right. Just so much more complicated than that. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, For some women, they were on the phone with Harvey Weinstein. No, I'm sorry. That's actually Louis C.K. Like for some women, they were on the phone with him and they didn't know that he'd started masturbating. It's so violating because there's an agreement that's happening at the phone call, probably that we're going to talk about business, that everyone's going to have their clothes on, that this will be some sort of consensual conversation about non-sexual things. But a lot of these men, they are specifically banking on the shock factor and violating that trust in that space. So closing your eyes in and of itself doesn't protect you from them making, making kind of a a last-second crossing of boundaries that was in the original agreement.
0: Right. And in most cases, it seems like there were people that they had power, as you mentioned, control over their employees or the actresses at their movies. And you're absolutely right. We don't know, A, how this going to escalate. And B, what would be the, you know, uh, retaliation that the person going to take, like at cases like I know in Harvey Weinstein, they talk about how he made threats that they could end people's careers. So it's just so can be very scary and invalidating and dangerous for people's psyche. Exactly. And a lot of these
1: victims in particular made those kind of went through all of that thought process in order to make the best decision for themselves particularly when they thought they were alone in the situation. And then we talk a lot about women being victims of sexual violence, but it's also a really good time to mention intersectionality and how uh, men can also be victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment too. Terry Crew, who I best know from the, the Old Spice commercials, he is now pressing charges against his assailant, Adam Vinette, Was a producer and he just came up to Terry Crew at a party in front of Terry Crew's wife and grabbed his genitals. You know? Right. And and Terry Crew's reaction, he said on Nightline, I think in some other interviews, is that he really wanted to turn around and hit this guy, but he was said in his mind that. If I do that, the things on the news the next day is going to be this huge black man assaulted this white guy, and no one's going to really believe that he was sexually assaulted.
0: Right. And it's just kind of what is the idea we have around sexual assault? You know, it's more acceptable if you've made this kind of image of traditional image of this helpless young woman that's naive and getting assaulted? And what would that mean if a man or man of color getting assaulted? And what would be the meaning of him reporting? So these things are very complicated.
1: Exactly. And particularly when we're talking about people in marginalized communities, people of color, queer people, um, people with disabilities, there's usually a consideration for how is this going to reflect on my larger community and not just if I come forward for myself, will I be believed? But that is definitely a consideration that victims in general have. And um, particularly abusers capitalize on that. They are banking on that. Uh, It's not accidental. It's very intentional and calculated. And uh, particularly I was used to seeing that when I did more batteries intervention work, a lot of the men in the programs would be hoping that If they stuck to a form of abuse that didn't actually lay hands on their victim, they were very much hoping that she wouldn't report or they could control themselves from escalating. But at some points, that just doesn't happen and they get caught and they do escalate. I would actually liken more of what we're seeing in news recently to that, for instance, You have these men who are masturbating in front of women because they suspect that if they actually sexually assaulted her, that that would for sure be grounds for her going to the police or that others would find out. And some of them did, like Harvey Weinstein did, in fact, sexually assault people. But overwhelmingly, you see a lot of them choosing these tactics that are harder to define. and. I think some of them are actually choosing it very deliberately, that it's not like they're on autopilot or uh, robotically going about masturbating and can't help themselves. That was very intentional to think about when is this person going to be alone? Who's not going to walk by? And what act can I get away with in the situation?
0: Right, and I love that you mentioned that this kind of like the perpetrator—they know that times they can get get away with it if it's a non—as of a kind of there's no penetration or touch or actual assault with harassment. They they're aware that many people might not do a follow up legal follow up on that, and they kind of count on it. And at times I work with individual coming in for out of control sexual behavior and they talk about you know how as a form of like form of sex out of control sexual behavior they expose themselves to people on the streets like and they are in their yard and they expose themselves and these are the acts that you would think okay maybe the person is not aware but these are intentional acts and form of violence and it just Makes me wonder that where is the line between out-of-control sexual behavior and violence?
1: Yes, I'm so glad you asked that. To me, there, all of these behaviors we're talking about exist on a spectrum. So we've talked about how masturbation on the healthy side of things, maybe in solo sex, can be consensual and completely devoid of problematic sexual behaviors, out-of-control sexual behaviors and violence. But somewhere in the middle, we get to the spectrum, right? In my work, too, when I work with people who have issues with masturbation, usually they still have a sense of empathy where they don't want to perpetrate this against someone else. Maybe there's a part of their act that's dissociative or obsessive or compulsive, and it hurts themselves. Like maybe they even masturbate to the point of pain and they can't stop, or they feel that it's very secretive and it's violating the agreements of their ongoing romantic r- relationships, but they wouldn't want to perpetrate masturbation against someone else. And they understand this line. But when we think about violence, a lot of the intention is there to do just that. There's a sense of entitlement that I have a right to do these things that. All of these people are just willing participants, whether they'd like to be or not. There's a sense of exploitation that, particularly in some of these really big Hollywood mog- moguls, they've designed their companies even around having access to women in certain situations and being able to perpetrate against them. To the point, for instance, Harvey Weinstein had a go between a female assistant who would call up people when they started getting creepy vibes to tell them no it's okay let's and then she'd set up another appointment for them usually at a hotel room for him right so there's extensive expectation and then there's a lack of empathy even in problematic behaviors and out of control sexual behaviors usually people who feel their masturbation is out of control have a sense of why it hurts their partners or why it hurts themselves and it's not healthy. In abusers, they feel that they're very justified in doing this behavior.
0: The other thing that I'm wondering, it seems like, you know, people are skeptical of out of uh, control sexual behavior. Some people are, they don't think they're real. And I'm sure you, you heard about that in the past as well. But what happened is uh, now that like people like Harvey Weinstein's been sent to rehab, then kind of people kind of thinking, these are the diagnoses that give people privilege to not go, not face the uh, legal consequences. So help us understand how as it's like Harry Weinstein, Louis C.K. did was violence and not out of control sexual behaviors. Right. So what
1: I just went through was the three E's. And I really, truly believe that across violent behavior, there's that lack of empathy, exploitation, entitlement. And it always leads to violence because it's rooted in a sense of power over and control. And then it usually has this element of fear, right? I think, too, that men with a lot of means have the opportunity to try and disguise it as something else by going to, you know, a retreat center for $2,000 a day. The average person may not have that kind of access or money, but they still use The same series of denial tactics to get other people to be on board with them and not with survivors. They do things like justify their behavior, victim blame, minimize, omit information, try and make it look like something else, uh, forgetting what happened, gaslighting. And you can see that with the way pretty much all of them have talked about it, who has come forward with a statement. For instance, Roy Moore, he keeps describing his repeated predatory behavior towards teenage girls as dating, you know? That's a sense of minimizing. It's a way of kind of manipulating the facts in order to suit his needs so he can continue being a predator. And then when I when we see people like oh gosh from House of Cards, Kevin Spacey, right? going to a retreat center, he's also trying to distract from the facts. He came out as gay and people really highlight how odd the timing of that is, as though maybe gay men do or don't molest people. Right. (laughs) But he gets to go to a retreat center instead of facing this because he's trying to move the conversation towards his self-pity, like, oh, this poor man has been keeping this inside so long, and maybe he didn't mean it, as opposed to keeping the focus on the hurt he's caused all of these young men over the years.
0: Right. And the other piece is that, you know, with the client that I see the out of control sexual behaviors, they kind of think the escalate throughout the years, there are gonna be consequences. I mean, for me I cannot help to I mean, obviously I don't know Kevin Spacey's case and his struggles, but like to me, like going, okay, I've done that a few decades ago and now I'm going to this retreat resort kind of thing. It's just like taking advantage of like your entitlement. And again, like I might be wrong because I don't know what's going on in his life, but it just makes me kind of frustrated in a sense that this is not a reality for most people. And people who have access, they can go to these retreats and say, okay, I'm addressing it.
1: Right. And it's so important here to make a clear distinction that his being gay has nothing to do with him. Absolutely. Targeting. These teenage boys, it's really no different than what Roy Moore is doing to these teenage girls, because violence has nothing to do with lust. For whatever reason, in our colloquial conversation about rape, we liken it more to sex gone wrong or wild instead of to an act of violence. And it's there in the way we talk about carnal knowledge and About and and using terms like crime of passion instead of saying sexual assault. I also really have a a problem with the media sometimes using the word sexual misconduct personally. I, I feel that that's a way of minimizing because they don't know how to classify it. But I think saying something like the person is accused of sexual assault would go a long way in helping the public not minimize inside with abusers, essentially.
0: Right. And what a poor taste, as you said, you know, with Kevin Spacey kind of ah, like coming out in the light of sexual, this allegation of sexual assaults, because I feel then what kind of images it's reinforced for people who doesn't necessarily work and know uh, members of LGBTQ communities that, as you said, mm-hmm. there's similar kind of likelihood. There are perpetrators in all communities and saying that, okay, I'm gay now kind of coming out instead of kind of owning what was going on in a meaningful way. And he's welcome to come out any other time. But it was so interesting that he, I, I felt he used it as smoke to kind of distract us.
1: Yes. Yeah, so it a smoke screen. Exactly. It's right there within denial tactics and gaslighting too. It's really, it's really too bad because we are in a society that doesn't know how to talk about it because we haven't really had a consent language. We haven't really developed a comparison for people to see what healthy behaviors are versus not unhealthy. Uh, I think that starts, with us over time to start really young with children is in kindergarten even helping people understand boundaries and consent and being able to talk about that from a real young age and saying no that way when people start getting to teenage years and uh, adult years we can continue that conversation in more in more complex ways like negotiating what sex acts you do and don't want to do with your partner
0: right and the other thing is i at least i've noticed when there is there was kind of a sexual size specific behavior that was associated with sexual assault It's just very hard for people to get back to it as you said masturbation is a healthy part of sexuality and for people who were kind of exposed to masturbation this way, kind of in non-consensual, that can leave a very bad taste in their mouth. At times, it's very traumatizing. So what can the survivors do to kind of like get passed through these challenges around specifically masturbation?
1: Yes, um, that's a really good question. I always start with helping people feel grounded in themselves. And I do a lot of somatic exercises in my own therapy with survivors. And of course, what that means is people need to start feeling safe and in control of their body again. People tend to check out. They don't know what their feelings are because being inside their body is scary. So dissociation is very much a coping skill. And we can reverse that by helping give uh, survivors skills around feeling back in control. For instance, one for our listeners too, if you need to take a break, take some long, slow, deep breaths. That's a really healthy way to feel back in control of your own body. And also we can help normalize people's feelings, let them know that they're not going crazy, that actually they're having very normal reactions to an extreme situation as opposed to having extreme reactions to... A normal situation, I think too we can teach them what good touch is because oh I so enjoyed your talk with Wendy Maltz because of this, and she was particularly explaining how survivors who grow up through a lot of childhood abuse they don't really know how to describe sex apart from rape, so helping people Reclaim pleasure is a huge part of survivors, survivorhood. And it's really a revolutionary act when we can give people back pleasure and not just say, you know, no longer having flashbacks is good
0: enough. Absolutely. And because I know many therapists, they stop there. That like, as you said, flashbacks are gone. There's no trauma as much. You don't expect as much. But sometimes we fail to go beyond helping people to experience pleasure. Exactly.
1: And somewhere there in the middle of the spectrum, again, the same thing is true for people who are trying to reclaim their pleasure in the midst of out-of-control sexual behaviors. For instance, I think we can help the person who has a very rigid fantasy that always involves masturbation, uh, helping them piece us apart. Like maybe we can explore Three other kind of fantasies. Maybe you can journal about them. Maybe you can talk them out in a playful episode for foreplay with your partner and try not to masturbate with it. Try doing one or the other. So you switch up the rituals that are ingrained in the behavior.
0: Right. And I love that you're talking about strategies for people who are sexual offenders and because I feel it's easy to have empathy for survivors. But it's just like so challenging for many therapists, many other people to kind of see that at times sexual offenders, they are the victims at previous times or things are going on that like many of them may want to stop and it is challenging. It doesn't justify their behaviors, but it's good to hear that there are strategies for them to get help. Do you see changes in individuals like erotic template when it's not working for them?
1: Well, I guess I can start by making a distinction some. When I think about changing people's scripts and their rituals, I'm thinking about people who haven't perpetrated yet and may not ever because they have an empathy and understanding that it would be bad (laughs) and cause a lot of harm to their victims. But uh, when I have had men in like our batteries intervention program who did perpetrate Uh, some form of sexual violence, like raping their partner. One of the things we, I think that we should focus less on the trauma in those situations, even if they did have a poor childhood with neglect or sexual violence and work more on the empathy side, because that's really where their struggle is. And that can be done through narrative work, having them rewrite the incident where they abuse someone else from the viewpoint of the survivor. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, if you've read any of the statements that were actually given by some of these men who perpetrated it recently, it is just brimming with denial tactics and not much empathy for the survivor. I'm looking at one right now, Louis C.K., for instance, and he says he starts out by naming the survivors but at the end, he only actually apologizes to his wife and children. It's this very warped sense of the people he hurt is actually himself and his family. Huh. But not a, yeah, not a lot of connection to why his victims are hurt. It Like it says, I want to address the stories told by the New York Times by five women named Abby, Rebecca, Dana, Julia, who felt able to name themselves and one who did not, these stories are true. So at the very least, he doesn't call them a liar. Right. Which is a huge,
0: unfortunately, uh, unusual situation because most of the cases people deny.
1: Yes. But then he goes on to say that he doesn't really understand where the violence came in. What was the fear for these women that we know it's, they were afraid they were going to lose their career. They were coming comedians and actresses who didn't have his clout. He had the opportunity to bash them if they didn't just hope that the masturbation gets over with and then they can go about their day. He instead says that it's be- the power I had over these women is that they admired me and I wielded that power irresponsibly. So this, this, there's a sense of narcissism and right. grandiose. So for me, if he was in my group, we'd be working on retelling one of those incidents where one of the women wasn't allowed to leave the room and walking it through. He closed the door. I thought he was joking, but all I could think about is how I have to go on stage with him next and how I'm going to explain this. Or all I was thinking about was my past abuse. How this is what my father used to do in front of me or something like that. Yeah. Really helping him key into where the fear really is.
0: Right. I love that kind of like helping them with empathy because empathy is a skill that like and like any other skill people can learn. Mm-hmm. Now, some people I do think
1: are beyond help. Truly, um, <laughs> really, honestly, uh, there have been some psychopaths in my group that we had to refer out Some people just aren't ever going to get empathy, no matter how you break it down for them, and they're a danger to everyone. So we, as a community, have to work around systems that keep them from harming other people in the future. But in most cases, I think there's a lot of hope for using restorative justice as a model, where maybe, for instance, it's not. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, who sits down in front of all of these actresses like Lupita Ngoyo and Angelina Jolie, but that there's a representation of that, that he has to hear other actresses talk about their experiences of harassment, that other producers in the community can apologize and change policies where actresses have a means of keeping their jobs, but choosing not to work in certain capacities, to producers and directors who abuse them, that would be more in line. And also having people be able to write their stories, victim impact statements, those things help a lot with survivors reclaiming their voice and being believed. And it doesn't, and none of those things necessarily have to include police or these very traditional means of seeking justice.
0: Right, right. So there are other ways for people to feel heard or at least they've kind of regained sense of agency by doing some of the work and kind of making their voice heard. Yes. So I noticed we're toward the end of our time and it, it seems like this is an area you have lots of knowledge and I bet our listeners would like to be in contact with you since that's one of your area of expertise. So what would be the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Thank you for letting me give a few places where you can find me. I have a website, www.sastherapy.com, S-A-S-S-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y.com. And I'm going to be starting a EMDR study group very soon. So if people want to consult with me or just learn more about other therapies that help with um, trauma, they can soon join me that way. Uh, And they can email me, quandra at sastherapy.com.
0: Awesome. So I make sure I leave those links in the show notes. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and providing these resources to us. And I wish you a happy holiday. Yes, you too. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. I hope my interview with, Mrs. Schaeffer gave you good information and insight about the recent allegations of sexual assaults and why some men force women to watch them masturbate. Because I feel that times, unless we're addressing the psychological complexity of it, it's hard for people to see how damaging that could be. Also, I wanted to encourage you to engage in more self-care behavior especially this month i know many of you probably had some kind of sexual assault experience sexual harassment experience unfortunately being a woman i can talk about myself that like i've been exposed to many different forms of sexual harassment at work at school and getting exposed to constant stories of people who are struggling or coming forward can be overwhelming So what I want you to do is kind of moderate how much you are watching news, how much are you following up the stories, because the last thing I want you to experience is to get psychologically experienced second day trauma or your own initial trauma around sexual assault getting uh, re-triggered anyhow as always i wanted to encourage you to if you enjoy this podcast if you like this content please leave us an honest review an apple a podcast it helps us to reach a broader audience and it will be encouraging for me to see that i can spread the news about uh, psychology of sex from a sex positive standpoint with many people around the world all right i'll talk to you later